The Dance Edit podcast is brought to you by Jackrabbit Dance. Jackrabbit is the industry's most reliable dance studio management software. If you're a studio owner, you know how important class management software is. Jackrabbit is going to make your life so much easier. Their software is cloud-based, powerful, and adaptable. And Jackrabbit has the industry's largest team of trainers, product coaches, and client success specialists to support you in your studio. You wouldn't accept less than the best from your students. Don't accept it from your software either. Visit jackrabbitdance.com and use the promo code DANCEMEDIA, all one word, for a free trial. Hi, dance friends, and welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer. I'm Courtney Escoyne. And I'm Cadence Neenan. We are editors at Dance Magazine and Dance Spirit Magazine. And in today's episode, we will be talking about how the Broadway community is grappling with ingrained racism, highlighting the Black ballet dancers who are calling out inequity within their own companies, um, discussing how dance has become a part of the protests that are happening across the country and across the world, and hearing from B-Girl and choreographer and scholar, Efrat Asheri. Um, before we get into this, I'll just a note that, as we were saying, the, the pace of news after its sort of pandemic-induced slowdown now feels very fast again. And a lot of the stories that are coming out are heavy and complex and really deserving of further attention and discussion, which means that we will inevitably miss things in our 15-minute conversations. So we encourage you to please reach out to us on Twitter at dance underscore edit and on Instagram at the.dance.edit. If there are stories or topics that you want to hear us address in future episodes, we, we want to know what you want to know. Um, so because there was so much news happening this week, our first segment is a dance headline rundown just to make sure we at least touch on a larger group of, of noteworthy stories. Um, Courtney, do you want to kick us off? Sure thing. Uh, So after a two-year-old Change.org petition went viral and collected nearly 170,000 signatures, Block announced that it would begin offering point shoes in darker shades beginning this fall, uh, meaning that black and brown ballet dancers will be saving a lot of time pancaking. uh, And a similar petition addressed to Capizio is over 300,000 signatures and climbing. I did not realize that Block petition was two years old. Yeah, just chilling for a while. I also want to shout out Freed, who did this in 2018, I believe. They released some other shades of point shoes. Yeah, in collaboration with Ballet Black, which is a company in the UK. And actually, Gaynor Minden did the same thing in 2017. Slow progress. The Lifetime Television Network actually recently announced that it would no longer work with Abby Lee Miller of Dance Moms fame uh, following accusations of her racist behavior on Dance Moms, and they also canceled her upcoming virtual dance-off series, which was set to air this summer. Not super sad about that. Yeah, no comment. Um... Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, the duo responsible for writing Hairspray, announced that licensing for the show will now require the show's characters to be cast as written, closing a loophole that previously has allowed non-Black actors to portray Black characters. Which we're all shaking our heads on the Skype recording right now. (laughs) So finally, great, about time. Um, Off-Broadway spaces like New York Theater Workshop, The Public Theater, and more opened their lobbies this past week and weekend to support Black Lives Matter's protesters. Uh, Many offered access to bathrooms, outlets, Wi-Fi, or distributed water and hand sanitizer. 
Yeah, that's a, a bit of heartening news. Those last two items were about as positive as the news coming out of the musical theater world got this week. Um, in our second segment, we want to talk about how several recent stories and announcements and petitions have just laid bare Broadway's systemic racism. Um, over the past few weeks, many members of the Broadway community have spoken out about their personal experiences with racism in the industry. Um, a theater mania piece looking at stats from the 2019-2020 season, or the season that would have been, um, revealed a glaring lack of diversity among Broadway's creative teams. One petition to make Harlem's Apollo Theater a Broadway house, which noted that it would be the only Black-owned theater on the Great White Way, which currently has 41 theaters, has earned 15,000-odd signatures and counting. Um, there was also a letter titled, We See You, White American Theater, laying out the many obstacles people of color face in the theater world, which was co-signed by hundreds of BIPOC theater makers and had an accompanying petition. And we're currently in the middle of the Broadway Advocacy Coalition's three-day online forum, Broadway for Black Lives Matter Again, which is hopefully fostering conversations about how the musical theater world can start moving in the direction of equity, but there is clearly so much work to be done. As protests against police brutality have kind of spread around the country, uh, many Black choreographers, stage managers, performers, playwrights have come forward to speak pretty candidly about their experiences with racism in the Broadway community. I think kind of, at least within Broadway, the catalyst for this was um, Griffin Matthews, who co-wrote and starred in the musical Invisible Thread, posted a, I think, seven or eight minute video talking about his experience with racism on Broadway, talking about kind of the Amy Coopers that he's had to deal with over his years in the Broadway community, um, and about, you know, both experiences with institutional racism and individual racism with even his co-workers saying some really very obviously offensive things to him. And then, you know, many other um, Broadway performers have spoken out since talking about their experiences that kind of mirror his. Yeah. And just to put some numbers, too, behind these powerful personal testimonies. So the Theater Mania story breaking down stats from this 2019-2020 season, there were to be 37 plays and musicals opening on Broadway. Of course, 16, I think, didn't either didn't open or were shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. But of that group, only four were written by artists of color. Only two were directed by artists of color. 33 of the 37 principal creative and or design teams featured two or fewer artists of color. Eight shows had no artists of color at all in their casts. And Courtney, I know you have an addendum here. I do. Uh, just a small thing. It does say this list does not explore associate directors, choreographers and designers, which generally feature more artists of color than the title page creative teams. Can we please stop having choreographers be like not title page part of creative teams? They're so important. Yes. I didn't get to do my why don't we present the best choreography live on the Tony's rant this year. Um, so I guess <laughs> we're doing it now. Anyway, back on topic. Well, here, here to that. Yes. So as a response to a lot of the outcry that's kind of been happening against racism in the Broadway community, BIPOC theater makers joined together to write a letter titled, We See You, White American Theater. Um, it largely addressed examples of institutional racism that they have seen in their time in the Broadway community, uh, racism in the theater unions, tokenization of BIPOC performers, misuse of funding to cover financial mismanagement, they really took on a lot of really important issues in the theater community. 
Yeah, one of the things that was referenced in here, which I think applies to basically every story that we're talking on this week, is the importance of intersectionality. Because um, here's the fact. If you are anything other than cisgender, heterosexual, white, and male, uh, if you diverge from that in any way, there is you're not part of a traditionally dominant group. But that being said, belonging to any one of those other groups uh, does not automatically absolve you of complicity with the oppression of another. Um, and this is alluded to in here by saying, hey, just because you're part of the queer community, just because you're a woman, that does not mean you aren't complicit with what mm-hmm. is happening here. Some of the you know biggest uh, signatories to the letter are Lin-Manuel Miranda, Sandra Oh, Issa Rae, Viola Davis, Leslie Odom Jr., Cynthia Erivo. I also see Billy Porter. I see Camille Brown. <laughs> I see all like I see all sorts of people whose work I love. I would say if you have not seen this floating around Instagram, uh, it's been circulated by non-black al- allies as well. But if you have not seen it or taken the time to read it, uh, please go to weseeuwat.com. You can read the letter in its entirety. There's also a link there to their change.org petition. Uh, It was started two days ago. Uh, It's aiming for 75,000 signatures. And I checked right before we started recording, and it was coming up on 63,000. So there's actually a good chance that by the time you hear this, it'll already have reached 75,000. But regardless, go read it. Go read. Sign. Yeah, the TLDR version. Go read. Sign, please. (laughs) Um, So... uh, just as members of the theater community are raising their voices to protest the injustices they see within their own theater world, dancers in the ballet community are also speaking out against ballet's endemic racism. Um, so in our third segment, we want to highlight several ballet dancers who have had the courage to actually call out inequity, often at their own companies, a big risk to take. Yeah, so uh, in the Dance Magazine article, it highlights uh, social media posts from five different uh, black male dancers. Uh, So there's George Sanders, formerly of Ballet Memphis, Nicholas Rose of National Ballet of Canada, Jonathan Batista of Oklahoma City Ballet, Samuel Aikens, who is a freelancer in Australia, and Philippe Domingos at Finnish National Ballet. And they all took to social media... um, at the beginning of, was it last week? Um, Just talking about the lack of support and lack of acknowledgement that they were hearing from their own home companies. Um, I mean, they were really kind of addressing the way that they saw racial bias in everything from casting to the decisions made about promotional materials, decisions made about choreography, and especially in this moment, social media, that their companies weren't, you know, speaking strongly enough on the issue of racism and police brutality. And we did want to note, too, that um, no women are featured in the story, which is definitely a problem. Courtney, you have things you want to say. (laughs) I always have things to say about this topic. I mean, listen, it's something that is another systemic issue that has reared its head time and time again in ballet, because in ballet, starting with training, male dancers get scholarships and get away with a lot more than their female counterparts, we're told constantly that there are 10 girls who would be happy to take their place. Don't even get me started on the fact that, like, how infantilizing it is that girls is a term that's still used with grown women. And then that's before you even begin factoring in race. And that's not even touching on, like, what our trans and non-binary siblings face. Um, I have many rants related to this topic. But basically what it comes down to is that being a Black woman in a ballet company 
I can understand how that position might make you hesitant to speak to power in your own company, Mm -hmm. uh, simply because as women, we're told we're replaceable. Right. The reason there are no women in the story is because not many have spoken out, most likely, as George Sanders pointed out himself, because they are afraid to do so. The risk, the level of risk is just too great. Um, So now we're going to bring our discussion out of the concert dance world and into the quote unquote real world. Um, with a discussion of a New York Times piece by Siobhan Burke that talks about dance as protest. Um, Dancing has just become part of a protest that are happening around the world. Organized dancing, like the Dance for George, collective performance that happened in Harlem last Sunday, and then completely spontaneous dancing. There are videos of these dance moments all over social media. Um, There's this sense that sometimes the best way, maybe the only way to express the combination of pain and joy that you're feeling is to dance. Yeah, Siobhan's uh, article for The Times is really lovely. Uh, She spoke with groups of dancers in New York City, Chicago, and Minneapolis, which have all been centers of lots of protests and demonstrations, uh, talking to dancers about bringing movement to these protests from contemporary to ballet to Vogue. And I even, you know, speaking from personal experience, I went to a protest in a smaller city this past weekend um, in New Haven, Connecticut. It was a protest organized by the Citywide Youth Coalition in New Haven. So I want to shout them out because it was amazing. And they actually ended the protest with a performance of the Bomba Dance. It's an Afro-Puerto Rican dance tradition um, actually rooted in the history of slavery on the island of Puerto Rico. Um, and the leader of the protest said that she saw uh, culture as a repellent to the dehumanization that racism can produce, which is why they chose to perform the bomba dance. I thought that was just such an incredible phrasing of what dance can mean to people in this moment. Yeah. I, so the Dance for George that happened in Harlem, which was organized by by two dancers, Sheen Jamal and Alison Bedell, it highlighted the just invaluable work that Black artists are doing right at the center of the dance and entertainment industries. And they positioned it explicitly, I'm quoting their Instagram post, as a reminder of the positive impact that Black culture has within our industry and our lives. And they weren't sort of setting aside the solemnity of of the current moment. I mean, there was a silent nine minute kneel after the dancing, but it was still this way of sort of saying, dancing affirms that we're alive, Black bodies dancing are Black bodies living. Black lives matter. Like using the body as well as the voice to say that Black lives matter. Um, I, I wanted to mention too that so um, hip-hop dancer and scholar Miri Park has a public Google document right now that lists out all of these dis- different instances of protest dancing. Go look it up. Um, it's linked to in the New York Times story, in Siobhan's New York Times story. Um, so Finally, we have the next installment in our voice memo series, which we are tentatively renaming Dancer Dispatches, formerly known as Social Distancing. Um, Each week, we'll be asking dance artists from different corners of the dance world to not so much talk about their lives in quarantine as we did previously, but instead to simply share what's on their minds, um, what they're thinking about, what's inspiring them. This week, we have a message from an especially formidable mind, that of Efrat Asheri, who is a B-girl and choreographer and the artistic director of Efrat Asheri Dance. And here she is. My name is Efrat Asheri, and I'm a New York City-based dancer and choreographer. Thank you for having me here today on Dance Edit. Like many all over this nation, I find myself hoarse from raising my voice in support of the Black community that has shaped my life in art. Like many all over the country and throughout the world, I'm asking myself what I can do to support the movement for Black liberation. 
As a member of New York City's underground dance community, being out in the street, seeing people pouring out of their homes, businesses, their cars, deeply echoes the ritual of the way we gather at the club. The protests, a visual manifestation of the momentum that is growing and the push for real transformative change. White folks like myself stand in support to help gird and guard the message, but still we have to question what can we do to instantiate the systemic changes needed to end white supremacy and racial injustice in this country. I am swept up in the enormity of it all, and then I pause. Where the hell was I before this moment? My work is rooted in black vernacular dance, and I was fortunate enough to be in New York during hip-hop's golden era, and eventually welcomed into breaking and soon after into New York City's underground dance community, where I was introduced to a multitude of culturally reflective styles like house, whacking, and vote. But really what I was guided into, and I quote house dance pioneer Ejo Wilson, was quote, freedom dancing, end quote. The manifestation of movement that only the freedom of your mind, body, and soul can create. Vernacular dancer and scholar Latasha Bars describes it as, quote, how freedom would dance if given the chance, end quote. It's not arbitrary that it was through these styles, reflective of the resilience, fortitude, pain, and joy of Black and Black LGBTQ communities' lived experiences, that I fully discovered dance's power to express, communicate, narrate, and transmute seemingly unsayable thoughts and feelings. Everyone in EAD is from the underground community and from all different backgrounds with embodied connections to Senegal, Nigeria, France, China, Israel, Brazil, and of course various parts of the U.S., a microcosm of New York City and the club community. We tour, teach, and educate about our community's roots and history, its legacy of pioneers and sages who have poured into us and continue to share with us their invaluable lived and embodied experiences. But is this enough to truly be reciprocal? It is not a coincidence that the ethos of the club, where the collective consciousness celebrates each unique individual, is where I gained the confidence to be an artist, to create work, and to speak up. The inclusivity and tolerance espoused in Chuck Roberts' booming house anthem, quote, you may be black, you may be white, you may be Jew or Gentile, it doesn't make a difference in our house, end quote. But my question is now, have I really been speaking up? Have I really been taking care of our house? The underground dance community has been my dance family for almost two decades. There have been countless hours of dancing, laughing, conversing, and bread breaking, but I've also witnessed repeated inequities as well as injustices in policing, healthcare, racial profiling, and erasure. As an artist and friend, I always believed my purpose to have been aligned with the values of the Black community and towards uplifting Black voices to tell their own stories. But where was my concrete activism? And where were my actionable steps outside of the art world, outside of the club? I'm questioning if art making as a white woman is enough. The paradox of being absolutely committed to the fight for Black liberation and simultaneously benefiting from the system that was created to continuously oppress the Black community. Here is my privilege, live and direct. Here is my complacency, unmasked. The truth is that even for all of us white artists who have been doing the work and will continue to do the work in multiple ways, visibly, invisibly, interpersonally, institutionally, civically, and artistically, until our Black brothers and sisters can exist fully in their freedom, in the underground and above ground, in club lights and in the sunlight, in cities and in the countryside, 
worldwide, our work will never be done. Efrat, thank you so much for sharing that meditation with us. Um, we want to let our listeners know that Efrat's new work called Underscored for Efrat Sherry Dance is being commissioned by Works in Process at the Guggenheim. It's set to premiere in early 2021. It's actually a collaboration with some of the elders in the underground dance community with a cast that ranges in age from 25 to 77. Um, it sounds fascinating. And also please be sure to follow Efrat on Instagram at E-P-H-R-A-T-A-S-H-E-R-I-E to stay up to date on all her projects. She is always doing something thought-provoking. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us this week. We'll be back next Thursday for more discussion of the news that's moving the dance world. So keep learning, keep advocating, and keep dancing. Mind how you go, guys. Bye, everyone. The Dance Edit Podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit Newsletter. Our hosts are Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, Lydia Murray, and Cadence Nina. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those football sounds. Find out more about The Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com. Thank you.